When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on the show, class is in session, but unfortunately, the teachers are all to lay laxu, so this lesson's going to be a little uh, twisted. <laughs> Welcome to Gamjabar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. I'm Leo. And my name's Abu. And today on the show, we are talking about everyone's favorite ongoing uh, university-based joke, <laughs> Peter DeVry University. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's about time we explain ourselves. Right. Why do we keep plugging DeVry University when they're not even a sponsor? Uh, go barn owls. Go barn owls. <laughs> right. It's because we don't know what their mascot is, actually. P somebody please tell us. But damn it if we won't try to guess. <laughs> yeah. You you'll get that joke a dozen times this episode. Buckle up, folks. But in all seriousness, I'm excited that we're finally diving into Piter DeVries. Is that actually, I don't even know how to actually say his name. Yeah. We've said it wrong so many times. I've totally forgotten what I thought it was before. <laughs> it's just DeVry University in my head. But we will be talking today about Piter and exploring his history, his childhood, his come up, and then the role he plays in the first Dune novel. As always, I wanted to throw up a uh, spoiler warning up here at the top of the episode. Mm -hmm. Today's episode will spoil the events of the first book. So if you haven't read the first book, if only there was a book club to help guide you through those 900 pages. Wait a second. Wait a second. I think we have one. <laughs> I think you're right. In fact, we do. We have a 10-part book club series that dives deep into every single chapter of the first book. It is the perfect companion if you are a first-time reader because that book club series is spoiler-free. But we still recommend checking it out, even if you're rereading the book or are a longtime Dune fan, because we get into some of those nitty gritty, deep cut Dune lore nuggets that are easy to miss, even on your first reread, your second reread, or your 15th. Indeed. We'd also love for you to email us, whether you have uh, suggestions for what the mascot of DeVry University might actually be. <laughs> Nobody knows. Impossible to find out. It's literally impossible. Have I tried? No. Will I try? <laughs> no, I will not. I will keep naming animals. Uh, but also, if you have feedback, if you have episodes that you'd like to hear, or if you just want to say hi, feel free to shoot us an email at gamjabarpodcast at gmail.com. That's the email address. That's it, folks. You've heard it. You know it. It's in your soul. <laughs> now, another way to get in touch with us and support the show is to become a patron. Patreon.com slash gamjabar is where you'd sign up to become a patron. Yes. You can support the show. You get some real cool bonus goodies. And 
you will be the first to hear our ongoing book club series. We will be jumping into Dune Messiah in November. Indeed. So be the first to hear that by becoming a patron. And also, I forgot to mention, <laughs> there's a private Discord where you get to come and hang out with me and Leo. It's way better than email, way faster than D-Strands. I had to literally tear Abu away from chatting with people just to record this episode. So it's real. It's true. It's true, folks. We also are proud to say we have merchandise available at gomjabarshop.com. Yeah. So if you are like us and your obsession with Dune is becoming unhealthy and you'd want to uh, display that obsession visibly to all of those in your surroundings, <laughs> check out some of our custom merchandise. We have apparel and uh, there's more to come. And also, we'd love to hear if there's something we don't have that you'd like to see. That's right. Okay, so that's all the housekeeping out of the way. Indeed. Let's talk about Piter. Right. Now, first and foremost, why dedicate an entire episode to him, right? Yeah. Because for all intents and purposes, he's a fairly minor and secondary character in the first book. In fact, he only exists in the first book and dies <laughs> right. like halfway through. So why dedicate <laughs> almost an hour-long discussion to this one character that plays a fairly insignificant role? Right. Well, the answer to that question is because the more you learn about him, like so many of the other quote-unquote minor characters that we've discussed on this podcast, the more you learn, the more you realize that role he played, not so insignificant. There is much more to Piter than meets the eye off the pages of the Dune book in the extended lore and extended canon. And that's what we're going to get into today. I also think that the more you know about him and the more you know about his background and where he comes from, his scenes, whether you're seeing it in the movie or you're reading, you know, reading in the book, his scenes are so much more electric because his character is actually a character. Yeah. You know, you have some background to this, this interesting wraith of a man. <laughs> and even just having done this research and watching the movie and reading the book, I already like him more as a character and I like all of the scenes that he's in more than I did before. So that's kind of what we're aiming to equip you with if you so desire <laughs> exactly the goal for this episode is by the end of it you will have a greater appreciation for the man the myth the legend piter de Vries. go pufferfish so let's start <laughs> off and talk about his life and career his sole employer <laughs> look when you find the job that's for you lock it down <laughs> yeah you lock it down he's a career man he got there day one. He's like, you're not getting rid of me until I die from poison. <laughs> when we meet Piter, he is first described as, quote, a slender, short man with effeminate face. And when Jessica examines him, we get this brief description, quote, hawk features, blue ink eyes that suggested he was a native of Arrakis, but subtleties of movement and stance told her he was not. And his flesh was too well firmed with water. He was tall though slender, and something about him suggested effeminacy, end quote. Now, as a side note, Jessica's like, yo, that guy's tall. Yeah. Could be, considering we just heard that he's short. Bear in mind, she's laying on the floor at this point. Right, kind of looking up at everyone she looks at right now, <laughs> at the moment. She's like, Jesus, everyone's fucking giant. <laughs> right, just a little tied up. <laughs> Jessica, you're on the floor. That's <laughs> how perspective works. That Benny Jesuit observational ability, maybe. <laughs> Full cylinders firing. <laughs> She's like, God, Duke Leto is tiny. No, 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 Jessica, he's far away. <laughs> oh. 
masters at the observational arts, really bad at perspective. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard. It's tricky sometimes, you know? But whether he's tall or short, it's all relative anyway, those terms, he's introduced to us as the Mentat Assassin of Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. And, uh, of course, twisted Mentat, we find out later. Right. And it's implied in his introduction and in that first scene he's in that he had a hand in devising Vladimir's plans. So clearly, from the offset, the first time we meet him, clearly he's a pretty major player on Team Harkonnen. Right. And we'll get into his role in the plan in just a little bit. Indeed. Because, yeah, had a hand in devising is understating it. Right. Now, he only gets a few scenes in the book, but from Jessica immediately recognizing his deadliness to the implications that he was part of this master plan that Team Harkonnen executes against the Atreides alongside the Emperor. He's definitely a major player here, like you said, on Team Harkonnen. Right. He, he's definitely someone whose actions have an effect on not only the story, but the entire empire and the entire universe that is to come. And that's why we're so excited to put the spotlight on him and his life here on today's episode. So let's fill in some of those blanks. Let's talk about his early years before Dune, Piter's early years. What we know about his early years is taken, as always, from the Dune Encyclopedia. Gotta love it. (laughs) And uh, also today, maybe for the first time, a deleted chapter Frank wrote, but later removed from the final version of Dune. And a lot of those removed chapters were usually due to uh, word count issues in the kind of initial publication. Yeah. So it's fun. We get to talk about a removed chapter that features Piter pretty heavily. Yeah, that is so impressive. I'm over here barely hitting the word count in my college essays. <laughs> Frank is over here writing too many words. He's got to cut it down. <laughs> Overachiever. Imagine that initial publicist is like, ugh, what a dumb story. Cut some of this, please. Just get rid of it. Right. God, nobody would want to podcast about this in 40 years. Jesus, (laughs) just cut it, Frank. No one's going to obsess over every word, Frank. Come on. (laughs) Get your shit together. Well, we're about to show that publisher. (laughs) So let's talk about those early years for Piter. He was born in the year 10,138 AG, after Guild on the small planet of Guandali, which is described as basically the galactic backwoods planet, sort of out of the way, not really central to much of the Imperium. Quiet little planet off to the side. Right. Now, to put the year of his birth in a little bit of context for everyone, this would make him two years older than Duke Leto Atreides. And that means when we meet Piter in the book, he is 53 years old. Yeah. I like to hear kind of the relative ages of everybody. I forget sometimes that they do relate to some degree. Yeah. Also heartbreaking to learn that he was so close to retirement. (laughs) Yeah. Poor guy. I hear the Team Harkonnen pension plan is stellar. They work you to the bone, but they take care of you if you make it to the end, man. Their benefit package, shockingly good. (laughs) I mean, you really wouldn't believe how well they take care of their employees. But that's why they're storing up that spice. That's why they're, you know, that that's actually the extended, you know, <laughs> Baron says to Beast Raban, squeeze, nephew, get all of their money so we can afford to adequately <laughs> compensate our retirees. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the full quote. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> now, for reasons we'll get into, the Tleilaxu basically obliterated most of Piter's early records. But here's what we know from the encyclopedia. Piter's mother, Thra, was a daughter of the powerful Olman clan. Her health wasn't great, but she did manage to survive to an old age and, by all accounts, seemed like kind of a dope mom. Pretty great mother. Uh, she doted on Piter and denied him nothing. Seems pretty swell. Yeah. That is in stark contrast to Piter's father, <laughs> who we know literally almost nothing about him, but we do know that he fucking sold Piter to the Tleilaxu to settle financial problems. Wow. So, knowing almost nothing about the guy, I feel pretty comfortable casting a bit of judgment on the dude. I mean, that's yeah, same. That's pretty fucking awful. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you there. I'm going to go ahead and judge him on this one. <laughs> we do have a little fun tidbit from the encyclopedia, and this is just another notch in the reasons for why the encyclopedia is so great. Oh, I love it. It's so good. Regarding Piter's father's name. Yeah. There is a small note that indicates that the letters IBB, IB, IBB, yeah. <laughs> were in his name, but we don't know the full name, and that has been lost to history. Right. So the encyclopedia says that his name included the letters IBB, but, quote, whether they constitute the beginning or end of his name is difficult to say. End quote. <laughs> yeah, you got to love history, folks. What a very necessary note. That really expands our understanding of Dune. <laughs> I love the encyclopedia so much. Right. So, dear listener, if you <laughs> have an idea for what Piter's father's name might be, including the letters IBB, email us. Ibithy. Uh, Let's investigate. Squib. <laughs> squib word. Squ squib word? <laughs> Can't be in the middle. <laughs> right. It has has to be at the beginning or end. Right. Is squib word an instrument? <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> actually as another quick side note the Ullman clan that his mother Thra is from and planet Gwandali are both creations of the encyclopedia they are 100% from the encyclopedia but wouldn't it be cool uh -huh. in like you know Villeneuve's part 2 or in the HBO miniseries uh -huh. I would love to get a little like clan Ullman or, or planet Gwandali reference you know just on a piece of paper or yeah you know a throwaway di line of dialogue in the background it'd be so fun right and look hbo if you want to pay us to make our tv shows we'll include an olman easter egg for the listeners for the viewers we're all ears yeah come to our podcast at gmail.com <laughs> reach out to us me and eight other people will get it and be very happy <laughs> it'll be great <laughs> exactly all right so there's one other thing we can actually say about Piter's childhood, which should actually be fun for older Dune fans and longtime Dune heads. Yeah. According to this cut chapter that you mentioned earlier, Frank and his wordy word count again, <laughs> in this chapter, Piter tells the Baron that his mother died when he was five years old and that he saw it happen, which is tragic. Oof. Now, the craftier listeners out there might point out that this seems to conflict with the encyclopedia claiming that his mother lived to a ripe old age. Right. But as we've talked about time and time again on this podcast, Dune Cannon is hella messy <laughs> and there is no single 
canon that everyone follows. So, right, you right. know, what happened to Piter's mother is uh, up to you, dear listener and dear reader. Whatever you want to believe, you can believe. But according to this cut chapter that Frank himself wrote, Piter's mother died when he was just five years old. Right. And to get into a little more detail about it, in that chapter, we learn that Piter says that she fell from the third floor balcony of their home. And he adds that her death didn't affect him at all. Man. And she was one of the many concubines that his father had, in fact. That's a little bit of early characterization for Piter as a young child and what he may have been like at that young age. Right. What a great example of show don't tell. You know, like in writing that, Frank basically in one foul swoop gives us this hint of maybe Piter's natural sociopathy, right? Oh, yeah. Mom, she was just one of the concubines my father had. Right. Even though I watched her fall and die in front of me. That's wild. But it also explains to us how Piter is not the sole heir of Senior DeVry. Right, right. So how he would have sold Piter to the Tleilaxu makes more sense if he's just one of a few kids, you know, around. The other thing this answered for me is, how does a doting mother who survived to her old age allow her son to be sold to the Tleilaxu? Yeah, that was exactly my question with the encyclopedia's explanation. So part of me (laughs) thinks maybe the encyclopedia is like false history sold to historians by Tleilaxu just trying to obscure the records of their agents. Right. That's kind of my headcanon. Ooh, that's a fun way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And actually, there is more to say about that scene, but for now, I'll say that the the excerpt that we're talking about, this cut chapter, is from The Road to Dune, which uh, features a handful of cut chapters and sections. And we will be talking about that in an upcoming episode. Uh, It just turns out it's fucking difficult to talk about. I started writing it script and it got to be like 14 pages and I was halfway done. So (laughs) stay tuned. That's coming down the road. Yeah, that'll be a fun one. All right, let's get back to Piter's childhood and early years. Right. As we mentioned, his father, immense amounts of debt, real bad with his finances, never signed up for mint. And (laughs) acorn. (laughs) Yeah, didn't have acorn, wasn't saving those pennies. None of this is sponsored, by the way. I've never signed up for acorn. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just listen to a lot of podcasts, and I hear these right. brands all the time. <laughs> exactly. Robin Hood, he didn't get the one free stock from Robin Hood. Yeah. Yeah. Totally <laughs> fucked his finances. So he had to sell his son into what I presume is indentured slavery to the Tleilaxu to pay off some of those debts. And obviously, that's horrific. Right. That is a traumatic moment for Piter, for young Piter in his childhood, in addition to losing his mother. And uh, I'm sure his dad went and immediately blew that money at the casino in Kondali. So yeah. there you go. Typical. Typical senior DeVry. <laughs> Typical. <sighs> go hamsters. Squibward, that fucking bastard. <laughs> Squibward. <laughs> it doesn't even work. <laughs> no, as a very quick summary of why the Tleilaxu was especially bad, you know, like indentured servitude, indentured slavery. Yeah, that sucks. Slave pits and giddy prime. That sucks. Yeah, yeah. Tleilaxu is especially bad, and if you've read all the Dune books, you know, but just in case you don't, quick summary, the Tleilaxu are, to be clear, the gross, icky, awful, just despised for good reason bioengineers of the Dune universe. Yep. They throw all sorts of shit at the wall, hoping it sticks. 
pretty much the most unethical stuff you can imagine is basically the Tleilaxu, the Bene Tleilax. They also rival the Bene Gesserit in secrecy. Right. Part of this comes down to the fact that they are hyper-xenophobic. They hate pretty much anybody who isn't a Tleilaxu. And although we don't really see them in the first book, they are 100% a uh, power player in the broader Dune universe. Definitely. There's actually a great encyclopedia quote that perfectly summarizes what the rest of the universe thinks about the Tleilaxu and what we on this podcast also think about. (laughs) Quote, the Tleilaxu were generally loathed for a more primordial reason. Their genetic manipulations masked life and nature. The Bene Gesserit could be tolerated, even admired, for their pretension at improving humanity. But Bene Tleilax's distortions only inspired primal horror. End quote. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. <laughs> when your people are described with the words primal horror, <laughs> something is wrong with your culture, folks. <laughs> yeah. You don't want that on your cultural Yelp review. You know, when they're <laughs> <Yes>. like <laughs> two stars, primal, primal horror. <laughs> Long story short, in the Dune universe, if something is gross, weird, or horrifying, it's like a really strong bet that it's from the Tleilaxu. Yeah, definitely. And that's just the way to think about it. Gadgets, those are from Ix. Gross, weird shit, that's from Benny Tleilax. That's a great way to put it. Now, the Tleilaxu were actually looking for bodies to experiment on because they had this goal of creating their own version of Mentats, of these human computers. Right. But of course, they had to put that Tleilaxu twist on it. Yeah. And these Mentats that they developed were deadlier and way more morally questionable than your day-to-day average Mentat. Yeah. Now, these Mentats were made to order, right? So they could make you a Mentat who, in addition to being able to, like, calculate the future and figure out what's happening around the world and around the universe, they could also give them specialized training, and they could give them that kind of preparation to be the Mentat you want it to be. So if you want a computer that can calculate your taxes perfectly and do all of your taxes for you, great. Do you also want a Mentat that will make you an amazing cup of coffee and also like stab your neighbor when he gets too uppity? <laughs> yeah, that's the, uh, that's the Tleilaxu guarantee. Yeah. Yeah. Look, that's enticing. <laughs> Sounds you know? great. I'd read that billboard ad and call the number. <laughs> yeah. Now, according to the Dune Encyclopedia, a man named Gilbertus Albans is the founder of the Mentats. And if you want to learn way more about him and the origins of the Mentats and everything that they're capable of doing, we actually have a two-part spoiler episode about Mentats. If you scroll way back in the feed, it's actually one of the earliest episodes we ever did. Right. But just a quick primer and refresher on that, Gilbertus Albans founded the School of Mentats and then eventually, a few years into it, had to move that school off the original home planet to Tleilax in some sort of deal that he struck with the Tleilaxu in the year 1246 AG. Yeah. So again, a little bit of context here, put ourselves in the timeline. This is about 10,000 years before the first pages of the Dune book. Wow. Yeah. And what the Tleilaxu basically offered Albans and his mentats and that school was secrecy and military protection, right? When you're when you're graduating a bunch of fucking nerds who can just calculate taxes, 
Right. You need someone to protect you. You need the jocks there to be able to uh, yeah. protect the school in case it ever came under attack because you're creating a very valuable commodity. Mentats quickly became one of the most useful tools to basically everyone in the entire galaxy. So right. the Tleilaks who basically promised, hey, we'll protect you in your school and we'll help you keep your special training secret from uh, everyone except us. <laughs> right. Got to read the fine print. <laughs> this is sort of my headcanon as to how the Tleilaks would have any notion of how to make a Mentat. Yeah. You know, Gilby Albi, as we called him in that episode. <laughs> yeah, we gave him two nicknames. We gave him so many nicknames. He, uh, of course, he was secretive about the secret sauce, the Mentat secret sauce. So how would they have found out? Well, luckily, according to the encyclopedia, yeah, school was there, which works out. Right. Now, Getting back to Piter, his years among them, his early years, having just been sold to them, were marked by those training methods, that training regimen. You know, we talked a little bit about it in that Mentat episode. So if you listen to that Mentat episode, when you have read the appropriate books, you can kind of picture young Piter going through those training programs, right? Yeah. Yeah. Taught to absorb sense data you know, absorbing as much information as possible, as well as computing not only what is happening right now in other places based on that data, but also projecting forward with just shocking accuracy. Yeah, definitely. Computations is the word for it. Right. Now, despite his obviously pretty rocky childhood, sans the really great mother that he had for maybe five years, <laughs> right? Piter is generally optimistic during his time at the Mentat School here on Tleilaks. Yeah. He's learning new things. He's got an opportunity to change the fortunes of his life, right? Right. He's being taught in a very secretive and skilled way, learning all of these things that make him valuable to the universe. Right. So in in a certain way, he sees this as an opportunity to shape his future and create a life for himself. Yeah. So to Piter, this Mentat training really had a silver lining to it. Right. By becoming a Mentat and learning these skills, it was a way for him to gain power and influence. Right, right. Two things that very quickly become very core to his life. They basically become the defining theme of Piter's entire life. This obsession with gaining power and influence that he will basically chase for the next 40-ish odd years, 50-ish odd years to the day of his death. Right. There's even this small anecdote in the encyclopedia that made me giggle sure. about how Piter at that time, I guess, was shorter than average, yeah. right? Like he had he had like this whole height thing going on. And according to some receipts that were found in his papers, it turns out that he preferred to wear these boots called Cothern, hmm. which are high, thick-soled boots. So <laughs> Platform boots? Some sort of platform boots is what I'm also imagining, but... Yo, he's out here looking great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's looking great. Yeah. But basically what the encyclopedia here is getting at is that he had a bit of a Napoleon complex. He spent a lot of his life sort of overcompensating for the things that he felt were inadequate about himself. Oh, sure. And he really used his Mentat training to try and make a name for himself and make a place for himself in the galaxy. It, it was a way for him to compensate for the lack of power and influence he's had his whole life and for the physical features he thinks he's lacking, he does these these things to try and make up for it or to try and hide it. 
Man, it's a shame that Benny Claylacks don't teach body positivity because, you know what? <laughs> he could just be a fun-sized king. Yeah. He could be a compact badass, but no. Okay. Yeah. Oh, well. Therapies for later, I guess. <laughs> Post-poisoning. Part of that team, Harkonnen pension program. They also pay for therapy. It's included, really shockingly. Yeah. But, uh, you know... Baron figured yeah. they're going to need it. It's actually it's actually kind of a one-two punch. They give you the trauma <laughs> while you work for them that you then undo in the paid-for therapy and the pension program. It, it's a really great system. They go, listen, you're probably going to get trauma anyway. So <laughs> this way, at least, you control that you're receiving trauma. And you go, you know what? I appreciate your transparency. I'll, I'll do it. Signing this contract. When... Speaking of Harkonnens, <laughs> when Baron Vladimir Harkonnen hit them up, reached out to Benny Tleilax, and he's like, yo, I heard you had some fucked up computers, and I want one. And specifically, he was requesting a Mentat assassin, someone who could, you know, think real fast and also work a knife well. I do imagine all of the Tleilaxu masters in the room at that moment kind of slowly turning to look at <laughs> little shorter-than-average Piter in his platform boots, just <laughs> brilliant, unfeeling, uncaring, perfect for the job. According to the encyclopedia, it, it seems like this is when the twisting of the twisted mentats happens, right? Right. The Benny Tleilaks train the young children they've purchased. They've trained them to be mentats. Now they have an idea of what Baron wants in addition to him being a mentat. So now that's a new lesson plan, right? That's a new syllabus of just fucked up classes to get this young mind as twisted and uh, perfect for the Baron as possible. Right. This is where you get the extra features on your Toyota Prius. Right. The wireless charger, the... Right, right. Uh, you know, the... Uh, I don't know anything about cars. I don't know why I, <laughs> I dove headfirst into a car metaphor. <laughs> yeah. The amount of familial trauma necessary to get that Bluetooth connection in your car, it's baffling. <laughs> it's really... Yeah. It's dark. Yeah. It's really dark. Drive away with a twisted Prius today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. The Prius is like, turn left. You're like, that's a line of children crossing the road. <laughs> turn left. Turn, turn left. <laughs> it's turning on its own. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> now, it is worth mentioning that generally the Twisted Mentat brand was that of inclinations towards evil and devoid of sympathy and compassion. So... I do imagine that the uh, Benny Tleilaks were sort of priming those qualities in their recruits. Yeah. Finding those kiddos who already don't really have any compassion or sympathy. Right. Speaking to Piter's potential like sociopathic tendencies, if the cut chapter is to be believed. Right. To talk really briefly, and I mean really briefly, <laughs> about the details the encyclopedia provides about Piter's twisting process, it is fucking dark. It is... In fact, so dark, I'm going to be talking about it very generally without saying anything specific. Um, if you're curious, it's in the encyclopedia. You can look it up. But very broadly, what Piter went through is they systemically destroyed his faith and confidence in authority and, most horribly, his loved ones. Yeah, yeah. They used shape-shifting face dancers to simulate basically his, which I imagine this is a short list, his only friends and loved ones and anybody who was close to him at all committing atrocities often to one another to basically mentally scar him past the point 
of having any kind of sense of faith or confidence in goodness. It's just disgusting. Wow. Yeah. Long story short, fuck the Benny Claylax. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. What a horrific way to totally break someone, basically, right? Yeah. To really break them to their core is to trick them with these shape-shifting face dancers. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure one thing they probably did to break Piter was shape-shift into his dad and be real nice to him. <laughs> yeah. Piter's like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, we joke, but it's truly disgusting stuff, and it's why the Benny Tleilaks are so hated and why we also hate them on this podcast. I mean, <laughs> they are out here just psychologically breaking people right to be able to sell to horrible people like the baron right to sell them these custom-made mentats these twisted mentats right now the baron of course is overjoyed to receive piter his wonderful wonderful mentat he picks up piter from the mentat school in the year 10168 ag right and there's actually a really great quote from the encyclopedia about piter here quote unfeeling unscrupulous, addicted to melange, incapable of affection for his fellow creatures. His only possible emotion was a morbid delight in erotic depravity. Same. <laughs> and in inflicting pain or death. Sorry. Yeah, erotic depravity, I get. Yeah, I get that first one. <laughs> he was a creature to whom killing was as natural as swallowing and done with as little thought. If in the accepted view, Thufir Hawat was indeed the mint perfect mentat, Piter DeVries was the other side of the coin, end quote. First of all, beautiful writing. I loved that coin metaphor. Oh, uh, yeah. But I love this quote. It really puts into perspective the type of twisted mentat that Piter grows to become. It also, it really does give me a greater appreciation for everything that he became prior to being obtained by the Baron, but then also, yeah, that he is that embodiment of what a Twisted Men hat can be at peak performance. Yeah. Okay, so let's breeze through the next roughly 25 years of Piter's life because as soon as he gets this job, he puts his hat down and really gets to work. Yeah. He's knocking out paperwork left and right, coming up with plans left and right, and he's basically delivering on the Tleilaxu Twisted Guarantee because he is doing exactly what the Baron needs him to. Right. So... Let's breeze through some of his uh, accomplishments in these first 25-ish years working under the Baron. Right. During that time, he's doing a lot of planning, and a lot of that planning involves utterly destroying a number of minor houses in the Lanstrad. Cool. <laughs> and also weakening many more. So basically crushing the Harkonnen competition at the request of the Baron, and he's doing it effectively. Right. He also created the plan that through oppression and squeezing the planet for everything it's worth, brought about those baffling profits from Arrakis for House Harkonnen. Yeah. It was Piter's plan that helps them squeeze those 10 billion solaris out of the planet per year. 10 billion solaris of profit. Yeah. That's a massive number, and that's thanks to Piter's mentat genius. He also developed... Undetectable poisons, which is huge in the Dune universe. Yeah. As well as some very sophisticated residual ones, like the one used on Thufir Hawat, the other side of the coin. Hey. We've heard of him. We know him. Yeah. Incredible to think about 
that he's creating these substances that no one else has thought of, even after 10,000 years of war of assassins. You know, incredible stuff. He also actually authored the plan to lure House Atreides to Arrakis, and it was that plan that Baron Harkonnen took to Emperor Shaddam IV, right? This is huge, yeah. Basically, in addition to clearly being a pretty good one, because, you know, the whole book Dune happens. <laughs> it also included the tiny, barely, you know, it's barely worth mentioning. Uh, I don't even know why I'm saying it, but I guess I will. Breaking of the imperial conditioning of a souk doctor. My God. Literally never. My God. Never been done. Ben. It's never been done, Leo. Done. First time. He's like, ah, I'm going to do that as part of this plan. Can you imagine pitching, not your boss, but your boss's boss? Yeah. A plan that involves doing a thing that is literally impossible. Yeah. And succeeding. Yeah. Because that's what Piter pulls off here. We've kind of joked on this podcast about how the, like, leverage to break Yui's conditioning, you know, <laughs> keeping Wana hostage and torturing her. Yeah, yeah. Is kind of, like, on the nose <laughs> and, like, kind of the first thing I would try. <laughs> Right. Personally, I love taking hostages and torturing them. So I don't know. This was this was kind of obvious. To me. You do that without a bigger plan. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we shouldn't put that out there. But the way that I think about this and the way that I attribute Piter's brilliance in this kind of obvious thing is every single person for thousands of years bought into the marketing around souk doctors. Right. Right. It's impossible only because everyone believes it's impossible and no one's going to try, except for Piter DeVry University. Right. Go rattlesnakes. Yeah, it's like vitamins, you know? They don't do shit for you <laughs> unless prescribed by a doctor, but the vitamin counter has like 15 different varieties and they sell like hotcakes. <laughs> everyone has bought in. Yeah. You heard it first, folks. Vitamins don't <laughs> exist. <laughs> Gom Jabbar. Right. That is not an official, don't you say it, that is not an official <laughs> Gom Jabbar stance. <laughs> On behalf of only Abu and not Leo. Please speak to your doctor for any and all <laughs> medical advice. We are not medical doctors. <laughs> we get an excerpt here from the Dune Encyclopedia about this power play, this like breaking of the conditioning. Quote, a supposedly unbreakable conditioning against disloyalty, a conditioning considered so absolute that emperors could employ souk doctors without fear. However, Piter's philosophy did not accept the possibility of incorruptibility. To him, every man had his price. It was just a question of finding the appropriate coin. End quote. Wow. Ugh. I love that. How well does that fit to someone like Piter now that we know more of his history and his so childhood? Perfect. He doesn't believe that anyone is unbreakable because he himself has been broken time and time again. Yeah. Wild stuff. I love that quote so much. And to his credit, basically worked. So listen. Yeah, right. <laughs> not bad. Yeah, maybe he's not wrong. And in addition, actually, to this whole incredible, impossible plan to break a souk doctor. Piter also came up with many other factors of the whole Harkonnen plan that we see unfurl in Dune. Yeah. He came up with the idea to make Jessica the decoy to basically plant this idea within the Atreides ranks that there is a traitor among you, almost as a red herring. Right. And then, of course, we learn in the book that 
despite this incredible 25-year track record, all the things we've listed so far that he's done well for the Baron, he did make one mistake, right. a single mistake in his 25 years of service. And that was predicting that Lady Jessica would bear a daughter to Duke Leto, which, as we all know, she was ordered to do by the Bene Gesserit. But instead, she broke that promise and bore Paul Atreides himself. Yeah. And of course, that changes the course of the empire and the future of humanity forever, as we all know. Right. And everyone was betting that her child would be a daughter. Right. So, you know. I don't I don't hold that too much against him. Right. Not not a bad track record. Right. After 25 years of doing all of that. <laughs> really, the employee of the month picture has been Piter for 25 years now. <laughs> and in that 25th year, yeah, like, yeah, it's Nafud. Yeah. But like, whatever. Yeah. That's only because Piter retired via. Via death. Poison. Yeah. Uh-huh. Via a tooth. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All of this leads us up to the pages of Dune and, of course, Piter's appearances. So we're going to talk about those. Yes. We're going to talk about some of, you know, how this background and how his childhood ties into those appearances and kind of what we've seen after a quick break. We're going to take a quick break. So stay tuned. We'll be right back to talk about Piter's appearances in Dune. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All righty, welcome back. Yeah. Now that we've covered Piter's life up until the first pages of Dune, let's talk more about some of the moments where we see him on the actual page and talk about some of the extra context that we now have, given what we know about his early life and background. Yeah. Now, Piter's very first scene in the book is also where we are introduced to Baron Harkonnen. Right. And this is where we... Mostly get a sense of how tired the Baron is of all of Piter's shenanigans. And now that we know he's kind of been working with him for 25 years, right? this relationship makes a bit more sense. If you worked with the same coworker closely, you schemed together for right. a quarter of a century. Yeah, you guys are going to get a little tired of each other, especially if one of them is constantly trying to kill you. This is a fast forward, <laughs> by the way, of what Gum Jabbar 24 years from now is going to be like. <laughs> right. Now, in between accusations that Piter is high on Verite or Samuta or some other kind of drug <laughs> and complaining that he's too talkative, they do kind of get down to business. Right. And we get a few moments where Piter's real capabilities start to shine through, that 25 years of experience on display for us. So when Baron is kind of so shocked at Piter's candor, you know, he's just like, <laughs> wow. You kind of suck. And Baron's like, what the fuck did you just say to me? <laughs> Piter flexes his Mentat capabilities. We get this quote. Quote, But you see, Baron, I know as a Mentat when you will send the executioner. You will hold back just so long as I am useful. To move sooner would be wasteful, and I'm yet of much use. End quote. Wow. Which I just love. 
He's so confident. Bold, bold words to your employer. Yeah. This guy swipes right on everybody expecting a match. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. But you see, Leo, I know as a podcaster <laughs> when you will cut my audio. <laughs> You will hold back as long as I am useful. <laughs> to cut sooner would be wasteful. Yep. And my audio is of much use. Little does he know I cut him four minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> now, this to me is also one of the more interesting differences between Twisted Mentats and Mentats. You know, Twisted Mentats are made to order, but also they are clearly not kind of implicitly loyal the way that proper Mentats are, right? Yeah. Piter is, in this moment, and kind of all the time, looking after Piter. Piter's on Piter's team. Right. Enough so that he literally speaks in third person sometimes. It's amazing. Right. Go pufferfish all the time. Yeah. Go see snakes. <laughs> and he would never do what Thufir does at the end of the book, as an example. Right. 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 He's too self, uh, self-preserving. self We don't get to see, really, what happens if Baron were to send the executioner. Right. But... I imagine he would just escape and go find power somewhere else. Right. Definitely. Now, later in the scene, after the Baron sort of suggests that Piter might not actually get his share of the spoils of Arrakis after their plan comes to fruition, right. we get this short little passage. And it's incredible, the threat, frankly, that Piter is to his boss. <laughs> right. Quote, Piter took five curiously mincing steps into the room, stopped directly behind Fade Ratha. There was a tight air of tension in the room, and the youth looked up at Piter with a worried frown. Do not toy with Piter, Baron, Piter said. You promised me, Lady Jessica. You promised her to me. End quote. Oh my god. <laughs> wow. I love it. That is a not-so-subtle threat to straight-up <laughs> shank Fade Ratha. You don't walk behind someone and then tell someone, don't toy with me, if you're not ready to stab. I also love, in this scene, Fade Routha is like, uh, am, wait, am I in danger? <laughs> Should I be doing something? <laughs> like Ralph in the bus, that meme, where he's like, I'm in danger. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Finally, as Piter is outlining the plan to Fade that we know will succeed, because we've read the book... It's clear that the plan is genuinely an incredible one. Yeah. We also know, and this is kind of a side note, but I, I really did want to highlight this because looking back on all of this, this surprised me. Piter is the one that devised the plan. Yeah. So when the Baron is talking about the plan and Piter calls the plan, isn't it sublime? You know, he says, isn't it sublime? I read that initially, the first time I read this, I read that as, oh, the Baron has a good plan right? Yeah. He's kind of like brown nosing, very like cloying. He's employed by the Baron. That's how I read it. But he made the plan. So him going, isn't it a fucking good plan? Is really just him going, God damn, I'm good. <laughs> I love that. Again, because it's a great plan. Yeah. And it all comes down to Piter. I also love seeing his agency shine through, right? Yeah. There are very few moments where Thufir does something where I go, oh yeah, Thufir is great for Thufir's reasons. If anything, Thufir is an incredibly competent piece of Duke Leto's arsenal. I think this just differentiates Piter even further from other Mentats, which is cool. 
makes a more textured, interesting universe. Definitely. And again, opposite side of that coin to Thufir Hawat. Right. Just continues to reinforce that idea. Right. Yeah. Now there's a another moment in this opening scene with Piter and the Baron and Fade Ratha where knowing more about Piter's past makes a part of the conversation hit a little bit harder and is much more interesting. So there's this exchange between the Baron and Piter. And actually, if you want to do a little role play, you be Piter, I be Baron. Oh, sure. Okay, so here's the quote. Okay. Are you already training my replacement? Replace you? <laughs> Why, Piter? Where could I find another Mentat with your cunning and venom? The same place you found me, Baron. Perhaps I should at that. <laughs> okay. That was a terrible Stellan Skarsgård on my part. But... I'm submitting you to replace <laughs> Stellan Skarsgård. <laughs> yeah, I, man, straight up, like, have you bought a replacement from the Tleilaxu? And then this idea that Baron is saying, oh, wherever could I find a replacement for you? Right. Oh, it's so sarcastic knowing that he straight up just bought him at the, like, Twisted Mentat store. <laughs> right, right. I don't know. That's just so wonderful. I love that. Yeah, knowing where Piter comes from and where Twisted Mentats come from, it adds so much depth to that little back and forth. And it adds so much playfulness, right? Like, the Baron here is being cheeky. Right. He's like, oh, where would I buy Charmin Ultra Strong toilet paper <laughs> that I got from Costco last week? Like, you know, we know, we all right. know. Right. Meanwhile, first time readers like, oh, I don't know. Where? <laughs> where would you get that? <laughs> yeah. And that's why we have this podcast. Exactly. We're here for you folks. To tell you about Costco. <laughs> right. Charmin Ultra Strong. Treat your butt the way it deserves to be treated. Now, <laughs> Piter takes the next 400 or so pages off. Nice. He goes on an extended leave of absence good for him 25 years of work he deserves it yeah he's totally. <laughs> really built up that pto <laughs> yeah and the next time that we see piter is in the scene with jessica and the baron we've already sort of touched on this scene but there are a couple of quotes that are worth pulling and talking about so let's touch on them briefly now as we mentioned earlier jessica's observational abilities off the freaking charts and she notices a lot in this scene. Perception, once again, kind of confusing, but observation, <laughs> yeah. great. And in this scene, while she's tied up, Piter and the Baron are speaking. And when she hears Piter, she thinks to herself, quote, The voice was tenor. It touched her spine with a wash of coldness. She had never heard such a chill voice. To one with the Benny Gesserit training, the voice screamed, killer. End quote. Ugh. Wow. Oh, my gosh. What a characterization of the man that Piter DeVries has become. Yeah. Twisted Mentat, indeed. Now, later in this scene, the Baron reveals how well he truly knows Piter, how well he knows his Twisted Mentat, his compatriot of 25 years in all of these schemes. He says, quote, I know what Piter really wants. Piter wants power. End quote. Not only is that great alliteration, it's also true. <laughs> yeah. We said earlier that power and influence, this obsession with those two things, become a defining factor in Piter's life. He spends a life compensating for the things he feels are lacking about himself and about his life. And the Baron clearly knows that. He can see right through 
his twisted meant at. Baron hesitated before he said, Piter also wants platform boots. (laughs) I do. I do want platform boots. (laughs) How does he know? I'll give you the tallest platform boots, (laughs) Piter. Now, in addition to the promise of tall, very tall platform boots, (laughs) the Baron in this scene also offers Piter a proposition, as we know. Right. He promises Piter the rule of Arrakis. Yeah. The most important planet in the galaxy. Right. That is capital P power and capital I influence. And of course, Piter is salivating at the mouth at this idea. And he very quickly drops with little pushback this desire to claim Jessica as his prize for this attack on the Atreides. And instead, he agrees to the Baron's proposition to rule over Arrakis instead. Yeah. Which we as the reader know, and even Jessica laying there listening knows, is an outright lie. The Baron has no intention of allowing Piter to remain in power. Right. Well, this is, I mean, this is the thing, right? Piter himself has said, I know when you're going to send the executioner and I'm still useful to you. And at that moment, Baron's plan is Piter will squeeze the people, be hated by the people, and then, you know, whatever, I'll, I'll kill him or let him be killed and, you know, swoop in and Fade Rautha will be the star, right? Yeah. But, in a sense, Piter recognizes, I will have control of Arrakis, and maybe Piter has his own scheming, right? Maybe Piter has figured out what Paul figured out, that control over the spice is control over everything. I'm starting to think with how smart Piter is, that though Jessica's like, yo, he's an idiot falling for this fucking empty promise, I'm like, I think Piter might have a cleaner understanding of this scenario than... Perhaps even we do, considering he's in the midst of it. Yeah. And he's looking after himself, number one. That That's a great point. And I actually agree. I imagine that Piter is already planning his plots within plots for when he rules Arrakis and has to move against the Baron in the next few years. Right. I think he's cunning enough to know that the Baron would never actually straight up give him rule of Arrakis. That's silly. If only it wasn't for false teeth, <laughs> would have seen that dream become a reality. Yeah. And speaking of which, the last time we see of him is the scene of his death, where Yui presents the captured Duke Leto to the Harkonnens, as promised. Right. In that scene, Piter has the honor of stabbing Yui in the back, mm. which is, of course, a moment he relishes. It's the highlight of his day. He loves it. <laughs> Quote, he whipped his attention to Piter, watched the man wipe the blade on a scrap of cloth, watched the creamy look of satisfaction in the blue eyes. End quote. Ew. Sounds great. The way you said creamy. Listen, I said it. I said it the way Piter feels it. All right. You did. You did. Acting. (laughs) Yeah. But also... You know he gets off on this. Oh, like, yeah. Like, you know oh, Piter's yeah. like, this is great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> did did we mention erotic depravity is one of his uh, personality <laughs> traits? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Loves it. Loves it so much. Now, following that death, the Baron and Piter interrogate the drugged Ducleto. And Piter, again, is just having the time of his life. He's having so much fun. Oh, my gosh. He's like... 
oh, I could improvise. Oh, sometimes improvisation's best. You know, he has this quote, all these ways that he could improvise, quote, hot tallow on the back, perhaps, or on the eyelids, perhaps on other portions of the body. It's especially effective when the subject doesn't know where the tallow will fall next. It's a good method, and there's a sort of beauty in the pattern of pus-white blisters on naked skin. Eh, Baron? <laughs> End quote. Jesus, man. <laughs> TMI, my guy. <laughs> Baron's like, ew, <laughs> stop. Jesus, God, <laughs> right, 25 right. years is too long. Right, <laughs> chill, my guy. <laughs> you have that erotic depravity. Just do the torturing in the other room. Don't tell me about yeah. it. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny little exchange back and forth between the Piter and Baron. And basically, Baron's just like, dude, shut up. Let me talk to Leto yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> Very much back to that, you talk too much for a mentat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that's definitely a theme that comes up but time and time again about Piter. Now, obviously, this scene wraps up with Leto biting down on the tooth. tooth and releasing that poisonous gas in the room that everyone is in. The Baron obviously escapes just barely through a little private door. Right. But unfortunately, our guy, Piter, doesn't. And this is where he meets his untimely demise. <sighs> Poor Piter. And what I love about this scene and what I love about sort of the arc of Piter's life here is this grand irony that Yui, the souk doctor that he manipulated and killed right. is the person who brings about Piter's death Yeah, with that poisonous tooth. That kind of comes full circle. Piter's trickery, his scheming, all comes full circle and his plots finally catch up with him. And the plots are the reason he dies, which when you think about it, while this is an unceremonious end for our twisty Mentat boy, <laughs> sure, it's a fitting one. Given the trajectory of his life that we know, given the things he's been up to these past 25 years alongside the Baron. Yeah. This really is the only way that I think Piter could have gone out, right? Yeah. Eventually, this tangled web of lies and conspiracies and scheming that he's worked on for the last quarter century, we're going to catch up with him. Yeah. There was no way that Piter was going to cash in on that cushy Harkonnen pension <laughs> check. Right. And live out the rest of his life in retirement. One of his schemes was bound to catch up with him. And it just happens to be the one here, the most important scheme of his life. You know, oftentimes when you look back on the plot of Dune, it can be striking how much, although Yui is the reason that Duke Leto, beloved Duke, dies, he's also the reason that Piter's incredible plan fails. Yeah. Right. He single-handedly kills Piter and the guard captain also guarantees Paul and Jessica's, basically their release into the desert to the Fremen. Yeah. And part of me, as Piter is telling Fade Rautha about the plan, part of me thought, you know, Piter very quickly writes off Liet Kynes, says Liet Kynes will block them from going into the desert with the Fremen. And you go, wait, isn't that a fucking mistake, <laughs> Mr. Spotless Record 25 yeah. years? Yeah. But Liet Kynes is assigned by... Shaddam the fourth. So Piter is like trusting Shaddam to make a good call. Shaddam did not. Yeah. Also, this sort of miscalculation about Dr. Yui, which ended up undoing the key elements of Piter's plan, all comes down to Piter believing that he had fully bought Yui's cooperation, right? Yeah. The idea that 
You just need to find the right coin and you can buy a man. Well, maybe Piter's wrong. Maybe the Benny Tlalaks are not onto something with the nature of humanity. And maybe at the end of the day, you're absolutely right, Abu. No matter what the scheme is, maybe there will be retribution down the line, even if you think that it's foolproof, if you're going on the base premise that you can buy someone through manipulation or you can buy someone through extortion and threat of torture, you know. Right. The grand karmic balancing of the universe. Yeah. Yeah. All righty, Leo. Let's wrap up this conversation about Piter. Yeah. We've learned so much about him. We've explored his presence in the Dune books, given that extra context we know about his history. But what I'm curious to know, just to wrap up here with a pair of questions for you, Leo. Sure. Now that we've learned so much about Piter's life, his childhood, his upbringing, some of the trauma that he underwent and the manipulations he underwent right. under the Tleilaxu, do you feel any sympathy for him? Hmm. Do you feel anything different for him, having learned more about him now? I, you know, when I look at all of the characters in Dune, I actually do kind of have a hard time drawing lines of, like, pure villainy and pure heroicism, right? I think Frank Herbert did a good job of creating a universe where moral gray is where most characters sit pretty comfortably. And Piter, knowing that he has his own goals that may take him away from the villainous Baron Harkonnen and may at one point lead him to align himself with other characters. You know, if he hadn't died from the tooth, maybe down the road, he teams up with the smugglers that I've come to know and love. You know, knowing that he is not ultimately just a lapdog to Baron Harkonnen, I definitely respect him more. And I think that requires as well a line of sympathy in, as well. Yeah. Now, to be clear, wouldn't hang out with him. <laughs> that dude <laughs> would fucking stab me. All right. Right. Don't get coffee with him. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Uh, but if you do, take a poison snooper just in case. Yeah. Although he created undetectable poisons. So even that's not a good. Oh, yikes. Uh, I know. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, if anything, maybe you just got to get on Samuto with him. Like, <laughs> he'd be cool to, because that timeless sustained ecstasy. Right. Uh, but no, I, I mean, I think I have some sympathy for him in as much as I understand his drive and his motors and his wants. So I don't know. Wouldn't hang out with him. At the end of the day, I'm still very much team Atreides. I'm still very much team Idaho. Always. Yeah. Always. But uh, yeah, I've, I've got some uh, some sympathy for the dude. What about you? Uh, how, how are you feeling on Mr. DeVry University? Go Bobcats. Um, <laughs> well, that's a very nuanced and thorough answer from your part. And you clearly gave this much more thought than I did. <laughs> and I, I do agree with you on a lot of your points, actually. You, you have maybe already changed my answer just by <laughs> answering first. Yes. So from now on, maybe I'll fucking answer first. <laughs> but... Just pulling you off script, buddy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now now I have to think on my feet, damn it. <laughs> my answer to this question was not really. Sure. Like, I didn't necessarily have any affection for Piter as a character or as a person in the Dune universe before going into this script and going into today's research and learning more about him. On the other side of it, I still think I'm in a fairly similar place with Piter. He's not necessarily a character that I enjoyed reading about. He's not necessarily a character that I certainly see myself in in any way, except for the erotic depravity. 
And it, my mind is not so changed from the from today's episode. Sure. I think what I can say is that maybe there's a little bit of added sympathy for the child that Piter was. Right. The child that at one point had a doting mother and was sold off by a father in debt. That child, despite whatever sociopathic tendencies he might have had, could have gone down a completely different path had the circumstances of his life been different. Yeah. That Piter, I certainly feel some more sympathy for after today's episode. But for the Piter that we meet in the book, for the man that he ultimately becomes after many years of working alongside the Baron, no, I don't think my feelings about him are changed. And I certainly don't feel sympathy for him and right. don't wish him any less worse of a death than the one he got. I think he got his just desserts. Keep that tallow, that hot, hot tallow away from me, bro. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, keep the tallow away from you. But you know what, Abu? <laughs> what if? Okay, okay, let's say. Uh -oh, okay. You're hanging out with your bud, Piter. Right. And you've been meaning to not be friends with him anymore, but you are. Too bad. Tough luck. <laughs> and he whips out the hot tallow. Oh, no. And he's like, all right, dealer's choice. Again? <laughs> God, it's <laughs> 7 a.m. Piter, come on. <laughs> if you had to have a drop of tallow, tiny little drop of tallow. Oh, my gosh. Hot tallow. <laughs> on any part of your body. Oh, okay. Where? Where would you want it and why? Oh. Be honest. <laughs> Look, despite my many insinuations this episode about my erotic depravity, I'm a real baby. Sure. When it comes to the hot tallow part of erotic depravity, I'm going to answer with a fairly bland answer to this question. Sure. I guess I would say my toe. My open eyeball. Oh, your toe. Okay. That's a... <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> okay. Why? Why your toe? Yeah. Well, I think that's at least immediately the one part of my body that I can think of that would maybe be the least painful. Oh, sure. And has maybe the least nerve receptors or at least would heal quickly enough that it wouldn't cause any lifelong ramifications to have tallow poured <laughs> on my toe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe one of my like useless toes, you know? <laughs> so that's uh, that's maybe my answer is toe. Okay, stay tuned for uh, Abu ranking his toes in order of usefulness. <laughs> <laughs> so we all know where My exactly top 20 that. rankings of both toes, <laughs> sets of toes on both feet, yeah. Is it different between feet? Oh, oh, you bet it is. <laughs> you, you won't believe where right middle third toe lands on the ranking list, folks. Yo, stay tuned for right middle third toe merchandise coming soon. <laughs> All right, Leo, you you asked me this weird question, so now I got to flip it back on you. Oh, sure. If you had to have a tiny drop of hot tallow dropped on any part of your body, sure. where would it be? And be honest. I like this question because it presumes that I don't already do that for fun. But <laughs> listen, what happens on Gamont stays on Gamont, all right? <laughs> and this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, you know, part of me is like, if it's a cool scar, you know, I, I don't actually know what this would be like. I think it, you have the right mind, the right mindset of like, where is the least pain sensors? Bottom of the feet, terrible choice. Top of the feet, better choice, you know? Yeah. But uh, if it's like a dope scar, maybe like forearms, okay. like maybe a forearm, 
because I feel like that's pretty uh I've gotten some scars on my forearms that I didn't I barely felt. Yeah. So I feel like that would be pretty uh pretty okay. But if the scar is gnarly, like if it's going to leave a gnarly scar, yeah. I think like maybe shin. Okay. Yeah. Like if I sit wrong in my chair, I lose all feeling in my shin. <laughs> so they don't just do that without telling anyone before the uh, towels apply <laughs> and uh, <laughs> dodge the dodge the agony. Right. That's genius. That's genius. Listen. Yeah, really really get something out of this whole Talo situation for the old Tinder profile. You're thinking ahead. You're you're galaxy braining this question. <laughs> Besides like deep set genuine enjoyment and just a an erotic thrill, <laughs> get something out of it. That's my goal, you know? Yeah. Always the goal. Man, are we still talking about Talo or are we have we moved on? I mean, isn't this whole episode really just a precursor to part two? where we discuss tallow at length. (laughs) (laughs) Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic, so help spread the word of Mwadib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network, on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, he who controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the golden path. Put someone in a good position and, you know, curry favor with, uh, with is that a term curry favor yeah i said it but then i'm thinking like yellow curry and it just immediately <laughs> right threw now, me off. now i'm a little hungry but i think Car- you're on to something f- yeah. <laughs> <laughs>